Hey, this is John Wills again. Another profound podcast. Got another a really fun guest today. Carmen, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure, John. Carmen Diardo. I started my career at Bell Labs. Did a lot of work in the core network telecommunications area. And then I did, after a couple consulting gigs, did some work at Nationwide Insurance where I was fortunate to get out in the middle of some of the lean agile DevOps work that we were doing. And for the last three years, I've been working at TaskTop, leading the value stream management practice. So uh, along the way, I was lucky enough to meet John, and I'm um, glad to be here today to talk about Deming and all things associated with that. Yeah, no, you know, we, yeah, we met sort of way back, you know, the, with the, the Gene runs the, uh, a couple of really interesting, Gene Kim, for those who probably do know, but author of the Phoenix Project, owner of IT Revolution, and uh, how many years now that we've been doing the IT, the DevOps Enterprise Summit? Probably since 2014, so seven or eight years. Yeah, 14. And, uh, and uh, we we met or very early on one of those. I remember you giving a great presentation about how you guys were doing DevOps. In the early days, we were always looking for these sort of, you know, like it was easy enough to talk about DevOps at Google or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, but to see people come in with really good enterprise, non-compromising stories. And I think some of your early presentations were very helpful for the industry and, you know, following your career. But we were talking, uh, um, I know we were catching up on some stuff a while back. And I, I guess I didn't know your background about Bell Labs and, and your, you know, and that prompted me to go sort of buy your book. And we'll talk about your book a little bit near the end. But I guess the, you know, I, I guess the first question is, you know, normally you, you sort of talked about your bio and your travels, but what was it like in the beginning of your career to be at Bell Labs? I think that's probably to me. You know, who else? Who cares who else listens to this podcast? I'm always geeked out. There's two places I've always been geeked out about where, like, I would never change my career, but I thought it, like, it would have been fun to be at Bell Labs in, in some earlier days. And then also at uh, Sun Microsystems. Those are two places when, when I, people who were there at the right time, they just have these fascinating backgrounds. But what was it like to be at Bell Labs? Yeah, so like a lot of things when you're young, right? I don't think you appreciate what you're experiencing until later in life. So, I mean, I come right out of college and I actually wasn't going to work in corporate America, right? I was, I wanted, to, was going to get a PhD. And, but I, you know, I happened one day as a teaching assistant. Somebody said, my professor said, well, you should go talk to these people at Bell Labs because they got a pretty good gig and they'll pay for you to get a degree, master's. And then, you know, you can, if you don't like it, you don't even have to go back and work for them. It's like, well, okay, it sounds like it's worth listening to. Them. So I did and I spent a summer and got my degree and I, you know, liked it so much I went back. But I mean, I guess, you know, it, I mean, the innovation was just everywhere. Yeah. Right. I mean, you didn't have to, to go look for it. I mean, you know, for example, we were the first, you know, we were working on advanced 800, which kind of sounds like an oxymoron now, but this was the 80s. And, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we were going to be the first 
application go out using C++, right? I mean, Struestrup had developed it. It wasn't even like debated. It's like, we're, we're going to go out. We're going to do try to do this object-oriented design thing. We're going to implement this on C++. It was the first time we were trying to do something on hardware we didn't build ourselves, which was quite a cultural issue. I had a guy in a parking lot almost religiously saying we were, you know, de denying the culture of Bell Labs because we were using Stratus, Stratus system. Uh -huh. But Stratus had this fault-tolerant system we were using. And, and the interesting part was, Dennis Ritchie went out with us to do a review of their system, right? So I got yeah. to spend a week with Dennis Ritchie, which was an interesting experience. But it was just a given. So, like, it's the first C++ object-oriented design, the first time we had actually used a symmetrical multi-processing system, which probably would boggle people's minds today, but it was a new thing, right? We had six processors. We didn't really... I could tell you a story. We didn't even know what to do with six processors. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know, you know, what is this thing with six processors? So, yeah, how's it going to handle interruptions? I mean, geez. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I was actually sitting in a lab one night. We were doing performance testing for the first time, and it wasn't going so well. And I only had one process running that was doing the bulk of the query processing. I said, well, I wonder what will happen if I just start another one because I'm looking at SAR day, and it's like, yeah, we got one CPU, but we got all these other CPUs aren't doing anything. It's like, oh, gee, we got twice as much capacity. And I mean, that's like, yeah, yeah, who yeah. wouldn't think that today? But at that's the time, right. yeah. so I mean, the innovation was just everywhere, right? And, and, and you know, I was probably spoiled by it. And then we also had this concept, right, because of Shuhart and, you know, he had started at Bell Labs and when Bell Labs was created in 25. And obviously he had this, association with Deming. So the idea of continuous improvement, you know, I used to joke with somebody later who had also worked at Bell Labs that it was just in the air. Right. Right. I mean, it was just a given that that's the way you, you did things, right? You're always looking for how to improve, how to get better. It wasn't good enough to just deliver whatever we were delivering. We had to, you know, we were looking for better ways to do it. And I probably kind of took that for granted at the time. But looking back, I mean, it was like an amazing place. And I was blessed to, you know, be able to spend 25 years there. So you could feel the sort of blood of uh, Schuert in, in, in like the PDCA and, or, you know, he was, you know, Deming called it Schuert cycle, but, but that, that, or, and, and did you even to the extent of like, statistics and statistical process control or in, in sort of everything? Yeah, we did a lot of statistical process control. We did a lot of simulations of things. I mean, before we built any, my first job actually at, was for a, again, this is going to age me, was for an automated directory assistance system. And I, you know, IBM used to have this, it was an amazing language. I don't know why they didn't, it actually was probably one of the most first multi-threaded languages was called GPSS is for general purpose system oh, simulation. Yeah. And I wrote simulations for how we were going to design the, the network. And I mean, we simulated things. We simulated failure rates of, of parts, right? Of, you know, failures in 10,000 minutes or seconds or whatever fit rates were. I forget, I guess it was seconds. 
we did all that kind of stuff. And again, it was just a given of how we approach things. And then in the 80s, we actually, you know, got deep into Deming, Oshikawa, Duran. We actually went to George Washington when Deming was doing his lectures there in the in the late 80s right so stop stop the press so you actually got to sit in uh yeah now i really really hate you so you actually got to see him lecture when he was at george washington yeah and do the red beads do the red bead and and you know it really resonated right because you know i think we had a sense of the fact that we react to things without really understanding, you know, what's the signal and what's the noise, right? Is this truly something that's that's worth a special, or is this just common cause, right? Is this just part of the standard way we do things? And we would ask ourselves and kind of challenge ourselves around that. So, so yeah, the whole data and and all the things surrounding our processes were based on, you know, obviously delivering, but then, you know, we had to build systems that were five nines, you know, availability, and they were were in dark offices. So even some of these concepts, I talk a little about the book, but, you know, of, of automating things, right, automating errors and being able to recover from them without expecting a human intervention, you know, was kind of in the way we thought about things. Right. Right. We were always thinking about the error cases. We used to say the sunny day stuff is the easy part, right? Right. right. So, yeah, it was, you know, we did a lot of stuff there around Deming and around, obviously, you know, some of those concepts that we learned that we already kind of had, but it, right. it, it just took us to a, a different place and also helped us with, you know, the culture that you always have to keep up with because you always have more people coming in and you have to, you have to continually take care of the culture aspect. of things. Was it recognized, you know, like, so you hit the eighties, right. And a lot of people in America didn't really realize who Deming was per se. Right. Unless you were deep in it. Was it that Bell Labs got it right away or was it just that, you were starting to see all the sort of Deming, the sort of a Deming mania that starts in the eighties where everybody in industry starts saying, Oh my God, this is great. Was it at Bell Labs? Was it sort of like we always knew, or, I mean, I I would say that you always knew and that once you realized, or if, you know, once you, if, if it had to be connected that that Deming and Stewart were intertwined, but was yeah, I mean, I think we knew. I do. I do think we fell a little bit in my organization into this idea. Like all of a sudden, we had a group that was focused on quality assurance or TQA mm-hmm. or TQC or whatever you were talking about it. But but it was also a very small group who was trying to get us more into better understanding and visualizing some of the processes that we were using, right? Because I mean, you know, we had to do things based on our government contracts from the beginning. I mean, even before I joined, we were doing, we had contracts with the government. It's also interesting, although this is kind of a different delve, right? We were doing affirmative action back then and things that 
you know, were kind of groundbreaking just from that perspective. But, you know, we were already doing things, but I think, you know, trying, and then we were also evolving it from hardware to software. Right. right so we right. already had a well-established regimen practices for hardware we were building electronic switches in the factory that i worked at i mean you could hear the clicks of the switches mm -hmm. oh, well. yeah, when yeah. you walk through the factory right so now we were going into you know the, the electronic switching systems and core systems and i think there was a sense that we had to better understand these processes because these were different types of processes than what we had gone through with the electromechanical system. So I think that drove us to take a diff, you know, a deeper look at some of the concepts of Deming and better understanding our processes and understanding, you know, how work was being done, you know, throughout the organization. Now we didn't really have a lot of silos. So, you know, like we already, if you build it, you ran it. I mean, we didn't have, I mean, that's the way we were already operating in that mode. Right, right. We didn't really have projects. We had products. We didn't talk about them that way. But if you ask someone what they were working on, they would give you the name of a product. Right. Right. right? So again, I, I didn't really realize how different that was though, right. until really until I went into nationwide because it was very stark the differences between how work was being done in Bell Labs and how work was being done in Nationwide. But you you talked about, you we've talked about how like you were able to take some of those tools when you moved to Nationwide. Like you, you at the very least, I'd love to hear you tell that you sort of gamified the, the Red Bean game and how you did yeah. that. But anything else that seems like you were able to take, you know, I guess once you realized there was a stark difference between, you know, this, this great innovative place like Bell Labs, and then now you're you're nothing wrong with Nationwide or anybody else, but you're you're dumped right into like okay, this is the way American business actually works. Right. In fact, the term IT was foreign to me when I came to Nationwide because we always assumed we were doing R and D, right? It was not, and even the idea of the business. Yeah, we had a business, right? We had a 800 business, we had a long lines business, but I don't know. It, it just it wasn't as stark, right, as when I went into Nationwide. And, you know, we had lots of project management. I mean, the first thing I noticed is we were bringing people to the work rather than bringing work to the people, which sounds maybe like a subtle difference, but I think it makes all the difference in the world because we were constantly going through, you know, the, the getting people to get, you know, the, you know, those phases that you go through to get people to be a productive team, right? And and we were constantly doing that over and over again. Just when you got a team to be productive, well, then a new project would come in. And and essentially, I was brought in to try to make Agile persistent in the environment. Yeah, I, I think the first thing, I again, I noticed is, you know, we kept going through this form form storm norm perform cycle with people and then we would blow it up and start all over again and and you know we brought we did agile on a project but once that project was done we had nothing in the environment that helped us right everything was being done in a temporal way and so and so one of the first concepts was about well we really need to establish these teams and set up these teams and bring the work to them you know build them around I wasn't weren't talking about value streams back then, but around assets, around you know 
systems and then bring the work to them. And, and then, you know, institute a persistent way, right, of doing the work, because in the end, it's, it's those systems and those products that are going to differentiate you and make you successful. The projects are temporal. Right. But that was a much different way of looking at things. And, and, you know, of course, Mick, Mick Kirsten wrote the book Project the Product right. a few years ago. Most of the companies still are struggling with that, right? They're not to that point where they actually bring the work into high performing teams that, you know, they're looking at their flow, their value streams and optimizing what they can deliver. And, and so something, something as simple as that, that I've taken for granted, you know, was a whole different cultural way of approaching work and nationwide. Yeah. And you, you had talked to me about, you actually had run the red bean experience. Can you, you walk through that? I mean, we've, I've had people talk a little bit about it, but not, not sort of in the context of running it at a large sort of insurance company. I think it'd be exciting for you to. Yeah, so one of the things that we did, and you know, I think I think through the nationwide talks of the DevOps Enterprise Summit, this has been talked about. Was we had something we call Teaching Thursdays, right? So the whole idea, right, of continuous learning, you know, kind of the third way of we instituted in a very real way on, on Thursday afternoons where you had peers teaching peers. And so I actually found a paper copy of this deck. I guess I took it, I, I ended up bringing it with me from Nationwide in one of my folders. But on 2000, it was from 2012, we, we ran a class around continuous improvement concepts using Deming's principles. And so at the beginning, so we bought a Red B game. I think they were a couple hundred dollars and I got mm-hmm. permission to buy it. And so we had a red, we had a couple, I think, red beat games. And so we would start the class or I would just walk in like, and I had like, I was dressed as like a, you know, like the company owner. And, and I had a couple props set up in the room and essentially, you know, we were going to act out. I didn't even say this is the class of the game. Oh, yeah, we just went right into it. We're acting out the red beat. I go, okay, I'm here. And, you know, I had a guy, Praveen, Praveen, we got, I hear we got some new people here. Yeah, yeah. You know, how, whatever my name was. Okay, right. and they're really great. And, okay, I can't wait to see them in action. And, and, you know, we got some great, you know, managers. Yeah, and so I had a couple other props, right? And so before you know it, right, people are, I go, okay, well, I want to see what you can do. I'll be back. And I leave. And, of course, they go through the first you know, iteration of the red beads, right? And we're measuring it. And so explain, you know, if you don't mind explaining just to, once again, what, 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 like what they have to do and then why right. you'll so, get to the punchline. And- yeah. Yeah. I'm going to blow the story. But so essentially the game is, right. You have a board which has paddles and you have these beads, little, you know, little beads that are white and red and the red represent defects or things that you don't want and the white are productive units and so as you dip your paddle in the idea here is to minimize the red beads or maximize the white and they're all mixed up too right, right. Yeah, and they're all mixed up yeah, and yeah. and and so you know everybody goes through and they dip it in and then you record their score right and Maybe they get multiple times to do it or something. I, I, I forget how we exactly ran it, but you record the store. 
So you go through and maybe we had six or seven people and we record the score. So then I come back in. I'm all excited. Okay. What, you know, you all came so highly regarded, you know, this is great. Let me see what you did. And so we look at their scores, right? And of course, you know, John, oh, look at John. Maybe there's, I forget how many were in a paddle. Let's just say there are 20. You got a score of 15 or 16. Oh, you know, Phyllis, you only got three, but look, Jane got 18. You know, Jane's great. And, you know, you talk the people up and you, Phyllis, I know you can do it. You know, you, you have a good, good to go to school again. Oh, yeah, I know that's a great school. I know you can do it. I have confidence. Okay, let's do this again. Go out, right? Come back in. And of course, now Phyllis maybe gets a 12, but now yeah. Jane has done this. Not Jane, what happened? Jane, Jane you were so, you were great, so well. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so then, then we bought like this platinum, like, you know, it looks like gold coins, but they were platinum coins or something. Yeah. So I start to incent people like, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Okay. What's the issue? Okay. I, I Okay. It's on me. I didn't really incent. So here we go. We're going to give more money, more bonuses for people who can do this. Right. Okay. So I know you can do it. Here's the money. I'm going to come back. We're going to hand it out. And so you do it again. And so you go through this three or four times. Right. And then and then, you know, it's kind of the tell, right? At the end, you, you start to plot the numbers. You start to explain what you did. You start to plot the numbers. And lo and behold, when you do the statistical control, all the numbers that you got fall within the control limits of what you would have expected from essentially a random result, right? You really, there is no skill. Right. You could associate dipping the paddle and, and doing better or doing worse, right? But you know, the idea is, and that's then when we go in and started going into some of the concepts of Deming in the class, was the fact that we talk about special, you know, common cause and special cause, and we start talking a little bit about control limits. And then we talked about all these, the other things, the seven deadly sins and 14 lessons and all those things. But, but you know, it was to show that, okay, think about this in your real work. Do, do we do this, right? Do we say, oh, well, this release, we had, you know, 88 releases. Last release, we only had 62. What did we do wrong? Right. We, maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, it, goes, yeah, yeah. You know, it goes back to Deming, you know, about talking about every system is perfectly designed to give the results they get. Right. Right? I love the, I think the, the what matches really well with it is the, you know, Deming says 96% of the, problems or whatever are related to the system and only 4% are to the, the sort of the worker, right? Which is right. an example of how you have to get all that sort of special cause out, right? Right. Right. Because that stuff is, you know, it's either just, it's just sort of black swans or very obvious corrections. Like, I mean, if you looked at, I've never played the red bean games myself, but like maybe at some point the, the little sort of shovel was defective. Like right. We can fix, we can identify that, but then we get into what's left is the common cause, which is that's the randomness. Yes. And we don't really have the ability. It's very hard for organizations to have the ability to understand, you know, what are the areas that are actually performing well that you should be learning from? Yeah. And what are the areas that are having challenges? And again, not the, not that, well, we, it's just, we need better people, right? It's like, what is going on here, right? And it's 
probably not the people. It's most likely not the people, right? It's it's the systems that they have. It's the technical debt. It's too much whip. Everybody, everywhere I look, organizations say they're implementing full models, but they have too much whip. And and then the other thing really is that I took for granted at Bell Labs was the whole concept of systems thinking. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a it's kind of a pun, a profound lack of systems thinking that I see around leaders. And I know you you know, you have more of this experience than I do, that they don't really even understand what leadership is and how to apply systems thinking and think it's about telling people what to do instead of about enabling people to learn, right? right? And, and, you know, so you're not learning, you're not able to look at the information, look at the data, understand what to extract that require, you know, that you can then expand, learn and expand these ideas that are working and also how to give help to the people who are, or the teams or the areas that are having challenges. And then let, you know, the middle is the middle, right? I mean, the middle's not going to change. The other thing is, you know, you're not going to change. You can tighten up your processes and maybe reduce variability, but you're not going to change the mean unless you change your, unless you change how you work. Right. And a lot of times it's like if you're not willing to change, then, you know, really you can buy all these tools and you can you can pay a lot of money to consult. But if you're not ultimately willing to change, you're not going to get any benefit. from. So I've heard, you know, reasonable criticisms of the Red Bean game from sort of very prominent, actually, people I respect. Right. And and I, I think I always try to understand, like, at one point it's a meta experiment. Right. So, like, don't get like hung up on it too much it's a meta experiment the one thing i i think you know envision was probably or really sort of asking you is how do you translate that from like showing people sort of the folly of fighting the system as if it's not a system and then translating that to them either going yeah i know this sucks and and like i can't change anybody above me or or turning that into i mean i think what you what you told us and told me which is you know part a step function is you just change it into data yes but you, you showed them the meta exercise of how important it is to be systems thinking global optimization but getting to that leap to changing the system is hard but the step function is maybe the like let, now let's look at the data you know so uh, statistical process control variants you know different types of correlation but it seems to me a lot of people look for the and it's probably part of all these systems that everybody thinks well if i do this system they'll fix it and i'll be done and and i think that's what a lot of people who look back on the red bean game probably say i did it or they did it and it didn't fix it is is my question making sense yeah it makes sense yeah i think it makes perfect sense i mean i look a lot of things so i have this concept of the pendulum right of of a lot of things in technology and I think in human nature in general, you know, when you're at one end of the pendulum, like, okay, we're gonna blame people, all our problems are our people, right? If I just had better people, everything was gonna be great, right? And then, and then you start to understand some of these concepts, you understand the process. There's a balance where you probably have, you should, you should stop 
because you have a good balance. But at that point, the pendulum has maximum velocity. If you try mm-hmm. to stop it, it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it swings out. Right. So then when it, where I see it swing out and I've dealt with a lot in my career are, well, there's nothing I can do. It's a helplessness. Right. It's cynicism. I, I right. talked about my, you know, I give a talk around Dick. I kind of stole the Deming thing that you did when I applied it to Dickens. Right. And the tale of two cities. And and I talk about the fact that then it can become, you know, everything cynical. There's nothing we can do. I can't change my boss. Well, that's not a place you want to be either. Right. right. You want to be in this balanced place. And and, you know, what I talk to people about is. You have, you know, carve out an area that you can't have some control over, right? It may not be as much control as you want. It may not ultimately fix everything, but everything starts to improve with whatever you can do and you can get your team to do to improve. You have retros. You ask yourself what you, you know, how to get better. I specifically ask people to ask the question, what's getting in your way of going faster? Because, you know, I'm trying to get them to focus and you could you could frame it any way you want, but if I'm trying to get them to focus on speed and barriers to speed, ask that question. Come up with some ideas, some hypotheses. Now, you know, use some data, right? You, what data do you have? Vote on something and run at least one experiment. Always have one experiment running, which could be people process technology. It could be a DevOps practice. It could be something different that you're trying to do. And and that to me, if you can do that, and I don't need big goals from leaders. The only goal I need from a leader is I expect you to be doing running experiments and then and then doing a show and tell on how it worked. Right. And then I can harvest that as a leader. Okay, this worked, right? Oh, this team, you know, examples from nationwide. We had a team wanting to use Docker. It's like, I know we Carmen, I know if we use right. Docker, we can do all these great things. Okay, how can we put this in a in a way that we can show speed and value. Well, let's see. We have a 25-hour test suite. If we can spin up Docker, Docker environments, as long as test only takes 12 minutes to run, theoretically, we could reduce that test suite from 25 hours to 12 minutes. Right. We right. did it. We did a show and tell. That was a big deal. Because now, you know, if you had to do an emergency release, which you ended up having to do during a hurricane, you could verify that system in you know 12 minutes not 25 hours and then that made the case for using you know using something like doctor so how can we turn this into our advantage to use the data and use this experience to make our tell our story and so if leaders just allow their teams are going to come up with amazing ideas right it goes back to deming the people doing the work have that's right. The best idea of how to improve it, the quality circle idea. Let them go. Un- unleash them. Okay. And and now those people, we you know, I can remember examples of managers come to me and say, you know, you know, Snail would never have never talk to her in a retro. All of a sudden she has all these great ideas. Well, yeah, because she sees yeah. that we're actually going to institute them and do something with them. That's that's the two, you know, the, the, the system of profound knowledge, right, is those four lenses. But the two of those four, right, which is systems, the theory of systems and appreciation system and then you know, theory of knowledge. Like what you had talked earlier, I think the, the problem with even today, most large capital organizations 
at the leadership level really don't understand systems thinking, embrace complex systems, system thinking. That's A. And then B, they don't follow that sort of, you know, that scientific method. You know, I love Steven Spears' quote in, in his Harvard Business Review, you know, which was his thesis, you know, decode the, the production, Toyota production DNA or some variant of that title. And he said that my favorite quote, he goes, Toyota was a community of, exp- of scientists continually experimenting. You know, and it all lies back to the, P- to Schwartz, you know, PDC, you know, PDCA, right. Which is, which is basically scientific method. You know, our industry leaders don't understand that, like that you have all this freedom if everything's an experiment. There's no such thing as a failure. Like, and and we're, you know, I would say we're great at plan, do, plan, do, plan, do, but it is the study act or change act, you know, depending on the history of how that name morphed. But the, 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 the point is leadership, A, they don't traditionally have a systems view and B, they don't really, you know, follow, you know, the really an epistemologic way, a theory of knowledge, you know, which can be, encapsulated in PDSA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I was, I, you know, this brought me to bring back up this old deck and look at it. Right. And so I, there's a slide about the things you just talked about. Right. So appreciation for a system, right. Set an example, you know, continually teach other people, help people transition into this new way of thinking, you know, be a good listener, but also, you know, you can't compromise on certain things, right? Right. You have to, again, go back to the data and let, and let the data be the voice of, of reason in many cases on what you're going to do. And then also just the appreciation of a stable system. Most of the systems, most of the product, the value streams I work with today, they're not stable. Right. So the result, I mean, how, can you even trust what you're getting or use them as predictors for future, you know, activities if you don't even have a stable system? Most of the systems I deal with have twice as much work in progress than they should if they were a stable system. So there's something going on here that needs to be, I don't know what it is. I right. always say, look, don't, I'm not going to come in and tell you. Why should I, how should I know how to do more than what you, you're the expert, right, but I can right, right. tell you what, how to read the data, how to read right. the tea leaves. And well, if you don't have a stable system, you, you got to deal with that. I mean, that is the point, right? Is that, you know, I, that's why I, I think the system of profound knowledge is profound, right? Because if I look at a system, I want to look at variation. Like you talk about stable system. I need to know, you know, again, not to for people who are sort of, you know, um, picking this on the fly, but, you know, you have your sort of common control and, and your, you know, and your special or, or, you know, and, you know, and the, the common control is your system. And that's the, you're looking for the randomness. And like, and, and like, like you said, if we walk in and we see how people deliver just so variant. Yes. There isn't even a way to even like, I'm not saying anybody, I think everybody should, but I'm not saying anybody should tomorrow just go control chart the hell out of all their value streams. <laughs> Right. But it would allow you to see what the difference is between uh, something that is, is pro- in process control. Yes. And then now, I, you know, like you said, I can't I, I don't know how to make your systems perfect for you. But I do know, you know, like if I look at, you know, system variation, I look at appreciation of a system thinking. And then, you know, I, I apply, you know, scientific method is like, I don't like the way this looks. OK, let's try this theory. 
and let's see how the results affect. Does it change the data? And the data is always telling me, you know, and then there's the theory of psychology, which is pretty important too, but that's a whole old discussion. But like, you're right. Like I, I need to be able to understand the system and be able yes. to, you know, and, and not just visualize it. I always like to say, you know, Dominica's book is not about like dashboards, <laughs> right? You know, making work visible. It's making work visible, you know? Yes. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, I try to teach people through, take people through that process, right? On the one level, it's the teams having the ability in their retros to, to improve. At the other level, it's looking, you know, and this gets back to what Deming talked about too, is profound knowledge comes from outside the system, getting above things and saying, okay, what is going on here, yeah. right? Because what I see a lot of is, is, OKR is driving local optimizations. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I talk about, you know, I have a food bank story. I talk about pizza boxes, right? I mean, I mean, people become very good at what they're doing and they're part of the value stream. That's right. That's right. And they, a lot of times, overproduce, which is a form of waste. Yeah. This and is so what you see... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When so when you get above it and you look at it, if you can get in above it, which is a problem, you know, because this isn't like building cars and you can go to the fourth and fifth floor. And I mean, some of it is, but yeah, yeah, of it yeah. isn't, right? And so what you tend to see is on, on one side of the value stream, I have overproduction. On the other side of the value stream, I have massive pileups of things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. just want to say, well, if I could just move some of this over here, no. It's not that simple, but at least if you're aware of what's going on, you can start to take some action, but that view isn't available. So what? Yeah, you have to try to force that view in a way. Again, you know, I would say lowercase v visible, right? Right. Um, the Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, GORAT talks about this, you know, that, you know, I'll summarize them in a way, but, you know, local optima, you know, sort of best case does nothing. Worst case crazes, you know, crazes, you know, bottlenecks and confusion, right? Like right. it's global optima. So like, you know, you go in and you take the, like eliminate waste at all costs, but whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. Right. Like eliminating waste here might cause, you know, to create. Right. Optima. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and it's hard. I, I mean, I remember, you know, 10 years ago being bought into a large publishing company and, Nobody could explain DevOps to the CIO. Like, so the, the, the big, you know, whatever, the big three or big four or any of his sort of chief staff and VPs. And he was very frustrated in this. We were trying to sell them software. And, and I remember um, this guy saying, John, if you can explain DevOps to this guy, you'll have your opening to start a discussion about this. So I get in there and I start telling him about lean value stream mapping and, you know, Rother stuff, you know, the, and, and he's, oh, we already did it. And he's like, you know, chastising me, like, you know, how dare you think I wouldn't know this stuff? And I'm like, all right, calm down. And we, we talk a little bit further. And he starts explaining some stuff. And I'm going, I get the sense that he's done all that stuff that he yelled at me for, for accusing him of not knowing only on the dev side, not on the op side. And now I'm going to be, okay, how do I say this without like saying you're an idiot? You know, and I'm like gently saying, well, when you said you did all that stuff, were you saying you never extended that to operations? I said, I said politely, that's like not even testing the brakes, you know? Right, <laughs> like, right. Like you built the car and you decided not to test the brakes, you know? And he's like, 
oh, I see you with Deva. I'm like, okay, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry we had to take the long way, but yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, you don't you don't know what's where what you have to use for the lights. Okay. Well, right. you don't you can't see what you can't see, right? I mean, that sounds like a ridiculous platitude, but but like to your point, you somehow have to figure out how to get above it. Yes. And, and, and see the parts you don't see. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll use some different stories to try to get people, you know, things that they experience, right? Because we kind of all experience right. these things, right? Like, and so, you know, it's funny sometimes what you end up talking about, but it's like, what's, you know, what is it? What angle can you kind of take right. here? to make this real for this person so that they can see, you know, at a higher level what this concept is. Well, I, you know, I really like what you did in your book. I've always been, you know, I, I, my this year's theme presentation is finding the noise, the ghost in the machine. And it was actually for the TOC conference. So I, I baked it around their shoulder, standing on a shoulder of giants thread. And, uh, and I love that, you know, that's what you covered in your book. So you want to talk a bit about your book and why, why you came up with the, I mean, I, I love the shoulder of giants. I mean, I love go rats, you know, sort of paper on it, which is the first thing I read and it includes Deming and Ono and, you know, all the stuff that I think we collectively love, but I think it was cool that you wrote a book around that. Yeah. So I appreciate that, John. Yeah. So Jack Moore and I, who I met at, at Nationwide, you know, collaborated on this book. And I think really it was about, Everything, you know, I, I laugh sometimes when people say, you know, well, gee, Carmen, how did you know that? I go, well, I knew that because I either learned it from somebody or I had the scar in the back, my back on when I did it wrong. That's right? Right. I, mean, I mean, you know, there's there's this tremendous debt I never repay to all people I knew and, you know, didn't know and who built this uh, uh, you know, unbelievable amount of knowledge that we were able to take advantage of. And so then I always felt like it was our goal to try to, I can't really pay it back, but to, or play, pay it forward, but to, you know, as much as possible, try to, try to help what I can with other people, because that's really, I think, the most satisfaction I can get. So that was kind of the idea was for Jack and I to go back through our various you know, careers that we had had, most of which were independent, but all kind of weave this story into these concepts of value streams and flow and all these ideas around, you know, building on Deming, building on some of these gold grab, building on some of those concepts that, that came out of that. And so, you know, there's some of those concepts around, it talks about DevOps, but it also talks about the broader DevOps in terms of, of the end-to-end value stream. But, you know, tries to build on top of those concepts and then we sprinkle in some stories right yeah. so i'm probably better at telling stories than i am at maybe anything else but you know i find those stories can be illustrative when they stick with people right they will remember the story that maybe then we'll we'll stick with yeah, them yeah. got to get those concepts across well that's why go right fo- you know focused on building novels right you said you right. can learn much more from a novel than you can from a reference so. And that's what made, you know, the work that you and Gene and folks do on the Phoenix Project. So, and, you know, I use that book all the time at, yeah. at Nationwide was, 
you know, to get these concepts across and make them real to people because yeah. that story resonated with people. Yeah. And that makes it uh, such a great, great story. I think those are the greatest stories where somebody says, how'd you sneak into my building? You know, and they used to say that to Golrad, apparently. If you listen to some of the Golrad's recordings, people, he'd say, people would come up to him like, you know, how did you, you know, did you, did you work at my company? And yeah. They say that to Gene all the time, right? Like, did you actually work at our bank? You know, like, no, no, it's just the, the same story, you know, like they're, there are these sort of, you know, there, there, are these, there are these stories in our industry that are just, you know, you know. No, absolutely. I, I was on a call last week, and and I think some of the interesting and sometimes scary stories around security, right? And they were talking to me about their security processes, and and you know, at a high level, it always looks good, right? I think this is where, you know, the activities versus the outcomes get disconnected. So it's like. Okay, do you have security tools? Check, check, right? Millions of dollars invested. Do you have do you have people that have security certi- certifications and the hiring and do these things? Check, check. Do you run yeah. scan, static? Check, check. It all seems good. But yeah. then you actually talk about what happens yeah. from the time that a vulnerability gets identified to actually getting fixed. And it it's oh, yeah, and it's, you know, we could spend an hour, but like I call right. it security and compliance theater, right? Like your your audits, you know, I've had CIOs tell me, you know, after I've I've gone through, like, you know, interviewed three, 400 people in their bank and, and then said, John, I agree with everything else you did, but I'm not going to accept your your seventh principle about, you know, that our, that our audits and security are, you know, we have low efficacy audits and, and high total audits, you know, we, we won awards. I'm like, you know, buddy, <laughs> let me show you the evidence, you know. You're, what you're delivering is not, there's no connectivity to what you attest in your audits to how your certain, especially cloud native, you know, sort of distributed compute infrastructure um, that are ephemeral, like container based, you know, cluster based, uh, you know, and, and even in some cases, you know, function based. Like you have no evidence, and and they get mad. They literally pound the fist, and you know, sometimes even chase me out of the office. But but yeah, it's goes down to how easy it is to do sort of a checklist audit. Right. You know, did, did you right. spend this much money on this IDS? Did you, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is these complex systems are so brittle at the edge. You know, we're seeing it. We're seeing it all over the place. So, like, you know, I, you know, I mean, I don't know if probably the, the yesterday's outage at Akamai. And so dating our date here today, but like they, I, hopefully that wasn't a, you know, an attack, you know, it was just some bad hygiene on a DNS configuration change, but, but it took down like five, six major banks. It took down, you know, every, it took down almost all the sort of internet based travel properties, you know? So yeah, it's another, that's another, for another topic, another day. So how do people get a hold of you? I know you're doing fantastic stuff on Value Stream, and you're sort of moving that ball really, you know, really cool at desktop, and and it sounds very exciting stuff going over there. So, personally, how do people find you, or how would you like people? Sure. So the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn, Carmen Diardo, and my Tasklop email is there. It's just carmen.diardo@tasklop.com, and yeah, I'd love to love to talk. I mean, love to learn from other people and have some conversations about what they're experiencing. And, you know, I think overall, we're just trying to help, you know, improve people's capability to, to deliver and compete, but also, 
you know, the happiness factor of the team. Yeah, themselves, yeah. Right. You know, I always say this, I have to say, you know, I love Mick, you know, the, the, the founder of, of Tesla, the, uh, you know, we, we, sometimes we disagree violently, but he, we always have our arguments, incredible respect, debate. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I think we both acknowledge that you know, even when you know, there's a lot of stuff we definitely agree on, but, but it's, I've, that's got to be a pretty good culture over there. You know, I was, you know, the type of people, you know, chef with Adam Jacob was this beautiful culture. Um, I suspect it's a pretty good culture to work over there because I, I really respect, you know, again, not always agree with them on things. And we've had those discussions, but, but man, like I can honestly have a pleasurable debate about a very hard topic with him, which is very rare in our industry. Yeah. I mean, I've been very fortunate. You know, I talked about, you know, starting at Bell Labs. I mean, my nationwide, a lot yeah. of great people nationwide, right? Some of the people that also presented, Cindy Payne, Jim Grafmeyer, other folks that got to, that presented at DevOps Enterprise. And then uh, now being at Tasktop, Mick, Dominica, Nicole yeah, Bryan, yeah, other folks. Right. Just, oh. you know, I've been very fortunate to uh, fall into this because I didn't plan any of it. But, uh, <laughs> None of us do, right? Or right. at least I didn't. So. You know, and then I got to meet, you know, obviously people like you and Gene along the way, Nicole Forsgren. I mean, yeah, I mean, I couldn't have. It's been a great, certainly a great opportunity for right. me. It's a lot of fun. So, I mean, that's why I do this because I like to help people and it's, it's a lot of fun and I get to keep learning, right? Because yeah. everybody key, I talk right? to, I learn. That's the key, right? Like, that's why, you know, like that's what it is. So, all right, my friend, I'm so glad you were able to take some time out to do this. I really yeah. enjoyed it. So, my pleasure, John. Thank you very much. All right. Mm-hmm.